0: The Big Schmear is brought to you by Ish Premium Horseradish. With a unique freshness, delicious flavor, and tantalizing texture, Ish is the surprise condiment that brings something special to everything and anything you add it to. From gefilte fish to vanilla ice cream, Ish transforms the ordinary into the extraordinary. For more ideas, visit premiumish.com.
1: The Jewish Food Society is a nonprofit organization that was founded about three years ago in New York City by its executive director, Nama Shafi. And she had kind of an aha moment that was planted in her head a couple of years back where she went to her husband's grandmother's house for Shabbat. And she was just so amazed by the variety of the dishes that Nona, as she was called, had on the table that, you know, came out of her tiny apartment. And really what was on the table was Nona's story, her journey from Izmir to Africa. And then finally, you know, and the island of Rhodes, and then finally settling in Israel. And, you know, Nama was just struck with this idea that these recipes and stories were in danger of being
0: lost. Hi, and welcome to The Big Schmear, the podcast celebrating Jewish food, culture, and history. I'm your host, Beth Schenker. I can't believe it's already May, even though it feels like years since March 1st. We have so much on our minds these days about good health and eating, so let's talk about food, recipes, and the upcoming holiday of Shavuot. I've known about an organization called the Jewish Food Society for a while, and I thought this would be the perfect time to talk with them and share who they are with all of you. The Jewish Food Society is saving our food history one recipe at a time. They've been collecting recipes and food stories, the best kind of stories if you ask me, that teach us about our cultural history. My guest today is Amanda Dell, the program director for the Jewish Food Society. Hi, Amanda, and welcome to the Big Schmear.
1: Hi, Beth. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure.
0: It's just great to chat with you, and thanks so much for joining me today. I'm happy to have the opportunity to let all my listeners know about the Jewish Food Society and the good work it's doing to preserve our food and cultural history. I thought maybe we'd get started by having you give us just a brief, a brief description of how the organization got its start and what it does. Certainly, I'm
1: happy to do that. The Jewish Food Society is a nonprofit organization that was founded about three years ago in New York City by its executive director, Nama Shafi, formerly, uh, she, she grew up in Israel, And came to New York, she worked for the Israeli consulate, she worked for a food startup called Eat With, and she had kind of an aha moment that was planted in her head a couple years back where she went to her husband's grandmother's house for Shabbat. And she was just so amazed by the variety of the dishes that Nona, as she was called, had on the table that, you know, came out of her tiny apartment. And really what was on the table was Nona's story, her journey from Izmir to Africa. And then finally, you know, and the island of Rhodes, and then finally settling in Israel. And, you know, Nama was just struck with this idea that, These recipes and stories were in danger of being lost. So I think that that's where originally the seed was planted to start the society. And when the time was right, that's exactly what she did. Our mission is to celebrate, preserve, and revitalize Jewish culinary heritage from all around the world. And we do that in two ways. We have a, a digital recipe archive where we have over 350 recipes and the histories that are attached to them. And then we do dynamic programming to bring that archive to life.
0: So both sound and are really inviting. So we're going to talk more about both of those. Tell me, do you know like how, how the founder how did she go about starting the organization? Did she just collect Nona's recipes and was that her start or did she branch out with, and how did she branch out with family and friends? I'm so curious. Yeah,
1: I think that Nona was, was definitely the inspiration. We have I think one or two of her recipes on the archive. And I think the idea that was put into motion, which is still something that we practice today is that we, as much as possible, go to people's homes and cook with them. So we have a culinary director in New York that does that. I've done it before. Nama has done it. And then we also have two researchers in Israel. So our process is, that we find really works the best is to go into people's homes, cook with them using their pots and pans, and really capture those, those moments and techniques that only they know.
0: Wow, that is so, so that's so cool. I'm just <laughs> picturing that in my mind. And like that's, yeah, that's just really fascinating. What a great yeah. way to do it.
1: We try to do that as much as possible. We also will get recipes from very well known chefs from people in our community. And again, we try to cook with them as much as possible. And we take the process of recipe testing pretty seriously. So we'll then bring it back to our test kitchen and really make sure that the recipe can work for a home cook. And a lot of, you know, a lot of what we do, especially when we cook with the older community, is translating those recipes into something that is workable across the board. So a lot of, I think many of us have had this experience, whether with our own families or with someone else, where, they're saying like, oh, I just, I use this teacup to measure <laughs> my flour, or I <laughs> use this kind of like unlabeled spice. I know what it is, you know? Right. And, um, so a lot of the work that we do is really just plotting through that and honoring the recipe, but adapting it a little bit if we need to.
0: Sure. And do you capture the stories then behind those recipes yeah. at that time?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah that's the other component to kind of how we create an an entry on our digital recipe archive is that we have an incredible editor. She does an in-depth interview with the person who submitted the recipe. Sometimes it's a combination of an interview um, with several family members. um, And then we kind of create a narrative essay that accompanies the recipe to explain kind of the journey of the recipe, how it's made today, um, and any um, other details about how the family uses the recipe and and how, you know, then that can be translated into into others creating the recipe in their home. And then also a, a big part of what we do for our archive is creating visual content as well. So, we work with a really talented team of collaborators to bring the recipe to life with photography. So, we oftentimes will get photos of the recipe being served in the person's home. And for us, the fun and also the challenge is how can we translate that into a more, a little bit more of a modern image that still respects and pays homage to the original recipe? We call, it, we call that grandma chic. <laughs> we bring elements of grandparents and of very traditional table settings into our aesthetic, but we also want to create something that's inspirational.
0: I'm really impressed with the depth and the respect <laughs> that you take recipe gathering. It's, it's really commendable, I would say. It just adds such a richness to what someone's putting on the table in their own home. I'm also thinking, and you could please correct me if I'm wrong, that yeah. it's not just collecting recipes that have been in families for generations, but it's it's also about modern takes on some of those, so that there's this long expanse of old to new. Is
1: that right? Definitely. I think that we find in a lot of these intergenerational recipes that they have been adapted as the generations go on. Sometimes we find a lot of recipes that have like this re- this ingredient <laughs> called chicken soup powder. Um, oh. it's, a, it's like a bouillon type, like a kind of processed chicken flavor uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that was very popular, you know, in a lot of kitchens. So sometimes we'll update that with fresh stock you know, Mm. as, you know, the younger generation has done. Sometimes the recipes call for, you know, a lot of margarine or
0: other um,
1: ingredients that we don't really use anymore, whether those were used for health reasons or parve reasons. We try to, if we can, infuse any sort of freshness that we feel appropriate or that, as you mentioned, the grandchildren want to make a recipe that, you know, their grandparents have made, but they want to update the ingredients. And in some way, you know, these recipes, a lot of times these recipes have changed and shifted
0: Mm -hmm, for sure.
1: Yeah. Just either based on health reasons, you know, trends, accessibility of ingredients, you know, how we cook today.
0: Mm -hmm. So Tell me, how did you yeah. get involved in the Jewish food society?
1: Yeah, good question.
0: I <laughs> <laughs> <Why>, thank you. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am a native New Yorker. I grew up here. I had worked in various in kind of in, in restaurants and hospitality for a while. I produced a lot of large events. I was working on a food media festival for several years. And I actually asked Nama to, to speak um, at, at one of our events and we stayed in touch and then there was an opportunity with Jewish Food Society and it, you know, it kind of, <laughs> it really marries so many of my interests and pre-pandemic, we, you know, not only have worked as a team to create what I think is, you know, an incredible archive But a big part of my job is is creating live events. Um, We have a signature event called Schmaltzy, um, (laughs) which is a storytelling and tasting event. And so we've held many in New York. We had one in San Francisco. We've had several in Israel. Um, And basically, the the idea is to engage people in in our community, leaders in our community, to tell a food-related story from memory.
0: Whoa. And
1: then we do <laughs> a walk-around tasting of the dishes. Cool. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, you can – all of the recordings of our schmaltzy storytelling events are, are on our website, JewishFoodSociety.org. And so, you know, we've had tech entrepreneurs, celebrities, chefs, um, really tell a heartfelt Story that we work with them to create. It's very personal, and it's really a lot of fun.
0: Oh, it sounds
1: great! Just really
0: uh, (laughs) could be really heartwarming, and and a great thing to just spend some time listening to those.
1: And I think I think for us, it's a way to connect with being Jewish that crosses many boundaries. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be religious. It can really be more cultural. Exactly, Um, And then, you know, we've done, we've done many holiday events. We have a partnership with the James Beard Foundation where we do a second night Seder with them. We've held Friday night dinners in Red Hook, Brooklyn. We just recently, this winter, hosted a French Shabbat dinner with an incredible woman, Anna Polonsky, and her father, Claude, who came from Paris. And they cooked Claude's recipes together. Yeah, it was really beautiful. So well, I was unfortunately, I think I moved a little bit off topic. No, no, but, that's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's ex-
0: yeah. It's- so I'm
1: very, I'm very honored and to be part of the Jewish Food Society team. And I grew up in a very secular household in New York City, and. Being part of Jewish food society really changed my perception of what Jewish food is. Um, I think I definitely thought it was just kind of that New York style food, like matzo ball soup, chopped liver, you know, growing up with bagels and lox, like that was a big part of, of our life. But for me to really understand and see firsthand the diversity of Jewish food has really, really changed my understanding. Of what Jewish food is and can be, and that's also really part of our mission is is showing the global perspective,
0: right? And that's definitely reflected in the in the recipes that are on your that are part of your collection. So, speaking of recipes, do you do you happen to have a personal favorite recipe (laughs) and food story?
1: Oh, this is so hard. hard. It's (laughs) so fun. It's so funny. As we were thinking about what recipes to include. I think this must have been about a year ago or a year and a half ago. I was thinking about my own personal experience and family and what I can contribute. And it was really hard for me to to think about a quote unquote family recipe. I definitely grew up in a house of, you know, where we, we cooked a lot. Mm-hmm. But it was actually really fun. that the one recipe that we came up with for my family was for a Thanksgiving turkey. Ooh. And it was cooked in a paper bag.
0: In a paper bag and
1: in a paper bag. <laughs> Uh, um, And that has been a recipe that really has traveled from my maternal grandmother to my mom to me because I host Thanksgiving
0: wow, you're um, now.
1: So I make mean, it. So that's kind of like a per- that's a, that's a little personal favorite because it was really interesting to kind of dive in and and I have a I think he's almost 98. I have a 98 year old great uncle who was able to speak to us also about that recipe. And oh, so I'll that's always so cool. you know tr- yeah I'll always treasure that as like a time capsule that I'll always have. Um you know something that was really amazing that we featured recently was a Tunisian Passover menu submitted from a woman who actually is in Argentina right now. And that really really was was fascinating. She actually did a demo of for Heroset on our Instagram. Ah, and
0: were there any ingredients yeah. in that horoset that kind I'm of just, were just like, wow, I would have never put that in there. I would have never thought uh, of you, that. You know
1: what? There was, there. you know, something sparked my memory there. And I know that there was something that was really struck me. So, okay, I need to find it. No problem. Um, Yeah. And the other really, really amazing part about that Seder was that she sent us, the woman Jessica sent us, like, kind of, not kind of, she sent us a tablescape photo of her Passover Seder that she has done, you know, previously, and her family uses celery as part of their Seder plate, and also they... it a more abundant Seder plate. Like, instead of one egg, they had, like, a whole basket full of eggs.
0: <laughs> and it was just a really,
1: like, yeah, beautiful visual to see a different interpretation of, of the Seder plate. Yes, okay, so now I know what it was. So she uses, some of the ingredients are, are familiar. Like, she uses dates and nuts. But what really made this Herosa distinct was using rose water.
0: Oh yeah And so she she
1: flavored it with rose water um, and it was just kind of a little touch um, that really took you to and a different place.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really great um,
1: So I love I love that. You know, I love all of our recipes and stories.
0: I'm just quickly perusing. It's hard to pick a favorite when it's like asking who who's your favorite child? Well, yeah. you know it's will, the one I you're will... looking at right now, right? <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> I will say this. And speak freely and honestly. Here is that you know one of the first recipes that I actually tried from our archive was chayme, like spicy Moroccan fish. Mm. It's kind of cooked in a pepper sauce, and it's now that I've learned it's very it's a kind of it's very common in that community to serve that for Friday night dinner um, or as part of the course of Friday night dinner. And so you create this really lush, flavorful pepper sauce. And then it's often served. The fresh fish is just placed in there, and then it's often served like with tahini. And obviously, you want to have hala to, to mop it up.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> and what's it so called? That, Do you remember?
1: It's called kreme. Spell that. Well, there's 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 a few different spellings that are out there, but it's C H R A I M E.
0: Okay, thank you. That's helpful. Sure. So if we. Keep in mind what the two things are that um, the Jewish Food Society does, collecting recipes and stories and also doing presentations. So now we're in this time with this pandemic, and, and clearly it's impacted everybody in a lot of ways. But um, I'm wondering how it's yeah. impacted the Jewish Food Society, and, and in what ways has your organization pivoted?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's really incredible to think, you know, how universally everyone has been affected in one way or another by this pandemic. For us, at Jewish Food Society, we have expanded our mission. We, as I mentioned, a big part of what we do is events. And we've had, we've really had the privilege to collaborate with some of the best in our community here, you know, in New York and around the country and in Israel. And whenever we called They always answered and were so incredibly generous with their time and resources. And we needed to think about in this time, how could we provide support to them? So what we've done is we, through the generosity of a grant from the Polly Singer Foundation and from individual donations, we have raised money to hire restaurants to cook meals for hospital and frontline workers. So we're able to provide meaningful revenue and support to our community of restaurants while also providing, you know, nourishing and healthy and fresh meals to hospital workers around the city.
0: That's great. Yeah,
1: it's been a really excellent initiative and it's given the opportunity also for our larger our community at large to to support in whatever way that they can and we've been really touched by the the huge response from our community to be able to donate and support our mission and also like so continue to be impressed and inspired by our community of restaurants you know we're working with large, more well-known restaurants like Russ & Daughters and Katz's, you know, and smaller restaurants as well to just try to give them the most meaningful business that we can during this time while, of course, balancing their staff safety and and what they can produce that makes sense for them.
0: Sure. I also feel like you've done some things now online Um, so that people who are not located in the New York area are able to access your resources. And yeah, uh, so talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, when the pandemic first came to the States and we saw, you know, I think we finally understood that this was going to be a long haul and we were definitely going to be affected by it. I think our first instinct was kind of how can we what, what's important during this time and and how can people feel connected, even if they're going to be in their homes? So we came up with an online initiative called Tradish, which is kind of <laughs> a little bit more simple recipes. And we really called on our immediate community at first. So I shared one of my families. I came up with one more recipe.
0: All right. <laughs>
1: It's like a really simple paprika, potato recipe. Ariel, our culinary director, has shared preserved cabbage and making vegetarian grape leaves. So kind of recipes that have a family connection and have a family tie, but are something that are geared towards a cook that maybe doesn't have so much time right now or has a lot of time or has a lot of time or <laughs> you know, just recipes that are a little bit simpler. And so we've also, you know, put a call our, our kind of our sentiment is, this is the time call your parents, call your grandparents, reach out to them, maybe ask them some of the questions that you haven't asked them before about recipes or just about their life. And so we have a place on our archive on our site, where those recipes are. And we're also um, on our Instagram highlights, you can see what's been really fun is that we've asked a lot of people that have contributed to dish recipes to come on camera and lead us through how they make the recipe.
0: Oh, that's great. So
1: that's been really fun. We get to, you know, take a peek a lot of times inside people's kitchens. Before the pandemic, we, when we were at a cooking session, we, of course, we would love to share story, you know, photos and videos and techniques from the cook. And we did that a lot. And I think with Tradish, we really focused on having those personalities and those people that are contributing to Tradish personally lead us through Mm -hmm. the recipes step-by-step.
0: Well, that's great. So people can either go to your website. Yeah.
1: yeah, Jewishfoodsociety.org and... We have an archive entry called Tradish, and that's where all of the Tradish recipes are listed. And in that, addition to our regular content that we're also doing as well.
0: Right. And where can they see? Have you archived any of the cooking? Um, yeah. Exam- and where can people find yeah. that? Yeah.
1: So those are on our Instagram.
0: And what's that? Jewish
1: foods at Jewish Food Society. Perfect. And they're all saved in story highlights.
0: Great. Okay, so we've got a way for people to find all this, which is super. And so I'm going to, speaking of recipes, I'm going to transition and um, we'll talk a little bit about shavuos, just a little, and we'll talk about the recipe that you're going to share. So I I just want to make sure that everybody's on the same page about this upcoming holiday at the end of the month called shavuos. And I personally love this holiday because I love dairy and you know, we we do a lot of serious baking and cooking with dairy at Shavuos. So for those not so familiar with the holiday, here is like a very teeny little bit about it. This holiday commemorates the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, seven weeks after the Israelites departed from Egypt. And in the Ashkenazi food tradition, people love to have blintzes, noodle kugels, cheesecake, all that kind of stuff. And in the Sephardic tradition, we have borkas filled with cheese, yogurt salads, rice pudding. I think you get the picture. Lots of dairy. And so if you are interested in finding out a much better description about the holiday and holiday foods that I just gave you, I would recommend checking out Gilmark's Encyclopedia of Jewish Food, which is an amazing resource for so much about Jewish food and Jewish food history. Back to Shavuos and the Jewish Food Society. So, (laughs) Amanda, you and I talked earlier about the possibility of the sharing of a recipe with my listeners that we have a recipe and we're going to put it on my website. But maybe you can just tell folks a little bit about what this recipe is and maybe a little bit of the story behind the recipe.
1: Definitely. Well... We are actually have the honor of doing a virtual program with the journalist and TV presenter Hila Albert. She's based in Israel. So, we're going to do a program with her where she's going to share some recipes with us. And one of them is kind of her take on something that she grew up eating on the kibbutz where she was raised. And kind of made a little bit more of a sophisticated version of it, and it's something that she eats to celebrate Shavuot. So, also when I started working for Jewish Food Society, I really I had been to Israel once um, as a teenager, but <laughs> that seems like in an, another lifetime. <laughs> um, and and so when I got to return, and I actually also got to go with Nama to her kibbutz it really was like a revelation for me. And what Hilash shared with us is that, you know, every day growing up when she was a child, there was like a 4 p.m. snack time on the kibbutz. And it was always, you know, with the other children. It was very communal. And the favorite 4 p.m. snack that they sometimes had was white cheese, which was kind of like a fresh cheese and chocolate spread. Like, mm. it sounds kind of, <laughs> yeah, <it> sounds, <laughs> I mean, it sounds good, but it sounds mm. definitely different. Yes. So yes. she said that really, like, when this was the beforehand snack, it was, like, the greatest day. Um, and she really remembered having that on the kipput. So what the recipe that she shared with us is kind of like a sm- little bit more sophisticated version of that. It's kind of like a cheese chocolate ball or cheese chocolate truffle um, that also has prunes in it. So I think it can, Hila says it can really bridge a few, you know, it can bridge a few places in the menu. It definitely could be something that you could have for dessert. It could be something that you could also have as part of like an aperitif hour. You could also have it like as an appetizer Potentially, if you're, you know, feeling an adventurous. <laughs> um, so for her, it really was about kind of translating a memory that she had from childhood into something that, you know, was kind of a little bit elevated.
0: I love that. Um. I love that you're sharing something that is a little different. But I also think it's it's the kind of thing that people might want to try just because it's different. and why not? You know? <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, it definitely has a, as a big cheese component it has two, di- it has two different cheeses in it. And what Nama also shared with me was that celebrating Shavuot was also really a, a harvest celebration. And that was oftentimes, you know, in the year that was a part, that was a part of the year where that there was you know, there were new animals So the animals were nursing, there was always, there was fresh milk. So I've just been imagining, you know, in my head, (laughs) this beautiful setting of also, you know, spring fruits being ready, and kind of like an aggregate in uh, an agricultural celebration of spring.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for sharing this. (laughs) And, and I'll um, hope that people will check out the recipe, which will be there by the time you hear this. Yes.
1: I think it will be a delicious recipe that will really surprise any, you know, when we're able to have future guests and surprise and delight them or your own family. And there's definitely quite a few other recipes on Jewish food society that focus on dairy. Our researcher in Israel cooked a year or so ago with a man who has Turkish and Bulgarian roots, and he shared, Bulgarians definitely love dairy, and <laughs> so he shared some really interesting recipes from his family that would be perfect for Shavuot as well.
0: So Yeah, so, which I would have said, thank you for, for putting yeah. that in there. Yeah, there will be the recipe on our, my website, but of course, yes. if you go to the Jewish yes. Food Society, there are hundreds of recipes, um, (laughs) not just for Shavuos, but for any day. So I would encourage people to check it out. And if somebody has a recipe that they think they would like to share with the Jewish food society, is that possible even if you don't live in New York?
1: We would absolutely love that. And we get very excited when people submit a recipe. And that is, we have received many great recipes, that way. And if someone that is in a place where we can cook with them, we'll always try to do that. And we, yeah, we really encourage and would love for people just to submit a recipe. If you go to jewishfoodsociety.org and you hit contact, we have a short form that you can easily fill out and then we will be in touch.
0: Perfect. Thank Um, you for letting folks know that.
1: Of course. And really don't be scared um, send us any thoughts that you have about, a, you know, a recipe that you think could work. And we are looking for recipes that have some sort of family tie or connection, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a recipe that's been passed down for three or four generations. I think there's, you know, there's definitely some room there for what we consider a family recipe. Perfect. So
0: don't be scared. Perfect. (laughs) Amanda, I want to thank you so much for being my guest today. My pleasure. It's been great learning about the Jewish Food Society and talking about food and all these different recipes that are just a click away for all of us. So thanks so much.
1: Wow, Beth, it's really been a pleasure. And thank you for everything that you do. Uh,
0: That's that's kind of you. My recording and mix engineer is Steve Robinson. The Big Schmier theme music is performed by Cavatina Duo from their CD entitled Sephardic Journey on the CD record label. If you like The Big Schmier, please don't forget to subscribe and to write a review or share a like on my Facebook group page. And to tell your friends to listen. It's the best way for my podcast to continue to grow. If you have comments or questions I'd love to hear from you, please email me at beth at And be sure to check out my website, thebigshmeer.com, to find recipes shared by my guests. I'm Beth Schenker, the host of The Big Schmear. Thank you for listening, and happy eating. The Big Schmear is brought to you by Ish Premium Horseradish. With a unique freshness, delicious flavor, and tantalizing texture, Ish is the surprise condiment that brings something special to everything and anything you add it to. From gefilte fish to vanilla ice cream, Ish transforms the ordinary into the extraordinary. For more ideas, visit premiumish.com.